All right, greetings. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is, I guess, I guess this is a podcast, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing something like that. Uh, my name is Branson Parler, and I'm professor of theological studies at Kuiper College. Uh, and we're excited to kick off our uh, first episode of the Kuiper Collective podcast. And so I'm here with uh, Dr. Dan Cruzy, uh, beloved professor at Kuiper College, uh, my colleague and friend. And, and so we're excited to uh, dive into some dive into some good things together. So, uh, Dan, welcome. All right. Thanks, Branson. I'm glad to do this. Yeah. this It's kind great, of strange. Great opportunity. Yeah. It's kind of strange when a room, just the two of us, we're used to talking in front of big, you know, groups of students, uh, but it's a little, uh, that's all right. We can talk though. We, we, we can, can talk. We, we can talk. We, we, we can talk about the Bible, theology, and anything else. That's right. That's right. That's, it's good. Uh, so this, yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, well, today we're going to dive into talking a little bit about the Gospel of John. It's a class that Dan teaches and, and has taught for a number of years. Um, but before we dive into that, I wanted to ask uh, just a couple personal questions. And yeah. one is, okay, so we're both college professors. Uh, who, who was one of your favorite or most influential uh, college professors that you had uh, in your college yeah. experience and, and why? Yeah. Well, I had good. Well, I... Uh well, back in the day, it's been a while, <laughs> yeah. but when I was a college student, I, I went to Calvin College, and, uh, and, and already then at 18, 19, 20 years old, I, I did have a love for the Bible and religion and theology, so I tried to take as many of the Bible courses as I could, you know, over at Calvin College, and one of my favorite professors I'll always remember uh, is Professor Dale Cooper, hmm. uh, and he taught the basic Religion 101 class, uh, just basic Old Testament, New Testament uh, and he loved to tell stories and was very engaging and just created a love for Scripture and the Bible and the story of God's redemption. And it just really inspired me to continue my, my Bible and theological education. I remember uh, he, would, he would sort of go on with stories and stuff. And one of the famous things he said, which I still use in my classes, is he would kind of always say almost, almost every class, you know, it's not what we cover but it's, it's what we uncover. Huh. And so he wasn't really concerned about getting through the outline or covering certain things, but can we uncover some real truths and nuggets of truth that, that really inspire us you know, to, to know the story and to love Jesus and follow him? So I always remember that and just want to, in my teaching, uncover things with students yeah yeah as we go along yeah 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 that's good that's a great that's a great motivation we had a discussion in one of my classes just the other day about what makes for good teaching or not which is always interesting to have that discussion with students and you know one of the things that they said clearly stood out as not being good teaching is when um you know student questions or student engagement feels like you're you're interrupting what the professor is trying to yeah. Trying to get through, like they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're on a monologue and they're doing their thing, and they're, you know, and so any kind of interruption is is just seen almost as interference that way. Yeah. So I think that's, and that's sort of the best part of sometimes any class are the things that you don't plan for. Yeah. And just the things that students are interested in, and that they bring up, and then that begins a discussion, and then you've uncovered some stuff. Yeah. And they really appreciate that. That's yeah. the best part. Yeah. Sometimes in any class. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think it really cultivates the the intellectual curiosity if you pay attention to and honor those questions rather than just kind of sweep them, sweep them away. Yeah. So, yeah. well, that's good. One other important note before we get on to the Gospel of John, uh, your, so every year at Kuiper College, uh, faculty, staff, others are involved in the NFL Pro Pick'em. Yeah. And this is pretty competitive because <laughs> we, we care about sports, we care about the NFL, we care about yeah. winning. 
And uh, so, yeah, so what's your team name this year, and, and what are you hoping for out of this year? Yeah, well, my, my team name is the Witten Word. So it's obviously a takeoff on one of the NFL players named Jason Witten uh, and plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, this was my team name a couple years ago, but then Jason Witten retired. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And now he's come back, so I brought back <laughs> the name Witten Word, and obviously that, that suits my love for football. Uh, Jason Witten and, and, and football, but also, of course, my love for scripture. Yeah. And it kind of combines it's, the two. It's a nice... So Witten word. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you can kind of, you know, even in the pro pick them, you can still have a testimony. Yeah, and that's right. That's ask, right. Hey, why are, you, why are you the Witten word? Yeah. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. Yeah. Let yeah, me tell you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. I appreciate that. You know, some of the other names are... are uh, the other team names are puns or play on words. We have lights, Kamara, action, yeah. uh, with a with a hat tip too. Is it Alvin Kamara for the yeah, Alvin Kamara right for, for the Saints? Saints, Saints? Yeah. okay. Yeah. And we have Shake It Goff, yeah, uh, for for Jared Goff, the, the Rams yeah. quarterback, and obviously yeah. a good Taylor Swift reference there. But I appreciate yeah. you're you're keeping your reference biblical. Your your, right. your pun is biblical. That's so right. Two of my favorite things: it the works. Bible and sports. That works. <laughs> that works. My my team name is not that creative this year. I went with Fourth Down. I'm not. I don't really know. Well, I mean, I, I go to Fourth Reformed Church, so there's yeah. some connection there. I don't yeah. know. I just thought Fourth Down. It's you know I haven't won in a few in a few years, yeah. so my back's against the wall. I'm ready to yeah. Fourth Down. Try to try to capitalize yeah. on that this year, but yeah. uh, but we'll see. Uh, well, let's talk let's talk Gospel of John. So this is yeah. a class. You know, you teach a whole class, semester long class on Gospel of John, uh, and uh, just spend your time really diving into that. And so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, why is that, why is the Gospel of John so important that you spend a whole semester, I mean, you do that with a number of other books, um, but what is it about the Gospel of John that stands out as being so uh, crucial and critical for us to know? Yeah, well, that's yeah, a great question. I mean, the Gospel of John really is uh, one of the most important biblical books that we have. I mean, Martin Luther uh, once sort of said, you know, if all we had was the Gospel of John and Romans, huh. Christianity would be saved. Huh. And so I, that's, that's interesting, you know, Paul and John, kind of the, the two who make the statement about, you know, Christianity and all that. But it's been, I mean, it's obviously it stands out from the synoptics, yeah. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, kind of are very similar to each other, although even they're different. Yeah. But, but John clearly stands apart uh, just by way of content. John is 92% unique. Hmm. So 92% of the material in John is not in the synoptics. So, and even the 8% overlap, which John shares with the synoptics, even that is different, and John has a different perspective and a different take and emphasizes different things. So it clearly is different from the synoptics, uh, and so it's valuable in that way. It's, I think it's been, you know, just throughout the history of the church and, and so on, it's, it's been one of the most beloved gospel. Yeah. And, you know, when... You know, I think every pastor has a series of sermons on the Gospel of John or, or people have studied John in one way or another or certainly they know about the most famous verse maybe in the whole Bible. You know, John 3.16. Yeah. You know, for God so loved the world. Yeah. Everybody knows that one. Uh, because, you know, it, it's in the Gospel of John. I mean, Jesus, Jesus said, makes some of his most extraordinary statements yeah. that we only find in John. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I mean, these are extraordinary, deep statements that Jesus only makes in the Gospel of John. Uh, and then also Jesus does some of his most amazing miracles 
in the Gospel of John. Maybe the most outstanding miracle of his entire life in ministry is recorded only in John. And that uh, is the raising of Lazarus huh. from the dead. Yeah, uh, Just an extraordinary story in John 11, which obviously is a preview of what will happen to Jesus in his own death and his own resurrection. And it's sort of a preview for all of us as Christians. Yeah. In our own death and resurrection and new life you know, with, with the Lord Jesus. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's the most beloved gospel, which is unique. And Jesus makes these extraordinary statements and, and does these amazing things. Yeah. Only in John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. And I, so I'm kind of curious. I remember having this perception as, you know, maybe as an undergrad or early, like even at my master's level work that, that you know, John is uh, maybe more more Greek. Maybe this because starts out with the yeah. logos, or that this is you know that there's a deeper theology. Um, but but almost like he wasn't, and I don't know where I got this perception, but like this wasn't quite as Jewish as yeah. the other Gospels. Yeah. But uh, the more that I've come to learn about John, the more that I've learned that's pretty mistaken. Is that I mean, uh, how do you see John uh, in his Gospel really? building on and connecting to the Old Testament and, and trying to make clear who Jesus is uh, from, from that background. So I, I just wonder if other people out there maybe kind of have that misperception yeah. because of how they look at the different Gospels. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's I mean, that's another one of the amazing things about John is that because of the way he structures his Gospel, the language that he uses, he really has a broad appeal hmm. to many different audiences. Obviously, you mentioned a lot of people think, well, it's Greek because he uses... Know, sort of Greek concepts and, and Greek language and maybe even he's been criticized or or suggest that it's maybe even sort of Gnostic hmm, in nature yeah, and appealing yeah. to, to that sort of community, the logos and and the dualism and the you know the the contrast, life and death, light and darkness and so on like that, thought of as very Greek and sort of even Gnostic. However, uh, you know with the with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is really interesting. Yeah. You know, that takes us back, obviously, before the time of Jesus. Dead Sea Scrolls dated, you know, before Jesus. And if you look at the language there, you have the, sort of the same thing. There's the, the light and the darkness and the contrasts and that same kind of language, even within the Jewish community. Uh, so, so John, I think, has this broad appeal. Uh, you know, uh, well, even the Logos. I mean, there's a rich, deep Jewish background to that concept, hmm. you know, with uh, Lady Wisdom. Yeah in the Old Testament and from Proverbs and, you know, there's a whole uh, Philo, you know, the Jewish philosopher, you know, commentator, you know, sort of drew upon the Logos in sort of a very Jewish way and then obviously the Greek. So, so yeah, uh, John appeals to this broad audience. I think that's what makes it such a, such a great, you know, you know, sort of gospel and early statement for the church. Uh, but it is very Jewish as well because at the very beginning of the gospel, uh, John is so, you know, he's showing how Jesus, you know, is sort of the fulfillment, filling fully what Judaism was. And he, so he talks about Jewish festivals, hmm. Passover, Hanukkah, Shavuot, uh, and how Jesus is the fulfillment of these Jewish festivals. But then, and then also these Jewish institutions, you know, Sabbath and, and rabbi, and how Jesus is just really the fulfillment of, of all of this Jewish stuff in the background, and including Logos. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's this broad appeal to both sort of a, a Greek 
even sort of folks who have some exposure to Gnosticism and those philosophical concepts, but also a Jewish group. And probably that's, that's the audience that John is addressing as he's writing in Ephesus to an audience that's in Ephesus, probably made up of Jewish Christians and also sort of some folks who are coming out of a Greek, even Gnostic Greek philosophical background. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So, so he's so he's being a good evangelist. Can I, I mean making clear that uh, again these when you think about all the Gospels, these aren't just sort of written randomly to a generic audience, yeah. but there are specific audiences in mind that that really do shape yeah. what you're going to find uh, in the Gospels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean John. I mean he's a pastor. He's a pastor of a Christian church in Ephesus, and he has concern for his congregation. And so that's who he's writing to. Sort of very pastorally and yet obviously with this broad appeal so that he can relate to a variety of different people and make a clear statement about exactly who Jesus is, hmm. both for the folks who have a Jewish background and are yeah. obviously coming out of an Old Testament and, and, and Jewish traditions, but also for folks who, you know, in, in sort of a Greek, you know, philosophical, even secular sort of worldview, making a statement on who Jesus is in that regard as well. Yeah. So yeah. that's what makes it great. Yeah. So it meets it meets all those audiences. Well, yeah. so so what do you make of the people? So we've been talking about about this uh, as though, you know, John actually is the author. Right? I, I mean, that's, so. that's, 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 that's what we're debated, assuming. But, but I think there's... Yeah, know, so, you, yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious about that. Like, why, why is it that some people would say... Uh, you know, no, this this couldn't have been written by John. This this must have been something later. You know, th yeah. this is something that you see, you know, probably dating back. You know, you would know better than I, but yeah. you know, yeah. 100, 200 plus years of people are yeah. kind of looking at the Gospels and saying, is this is this really John? Um, even you know, more recent critics like Bart Ehrman and others. So, what is their, what's the kind of logic that they're using to make that case, and and why don't you think that works at the end of the day? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the authorship, maybe this is the most debated, you know, John is one of the most debated issues as the as also authorship, uh, because just the nature of the gospel, it's so theological, it's so spiritual, it seems to have this advanced theology, you know, about yeah. the deity of Christ and the incarnation and the Trinity, that it seems like this material has been developed later, and that's mm. been the, and that's been the, Sort of the criticism about John that it seems to be more a reflection of the church and what the church thinks of Jesus hmm. rather than what Jesus actually thinks of Jesus hmm. in the first century yeah. by an eyewitness, the disciple John. So, yeah, so uh, many folks have suggested, particularly within the last couple hundred years, that John is more of a reflection of the church uh, and that it's the church who took the human Jesus from Galilee and elevated him to the level of deity. So Bart Ehrman, for example, yeah. I think summarizes that sort of perspective in his recent book, you know, how, how Jesus became God. Yeah. You know, how the church elevated a Jewish Galilean rabbi to the level of God. And that's... And so, you know, so then, uh, therefore, the people say, well, then John, the Gospel of John is a second century work. Huh. 
Now, it couldn't possibly have been written by the disciple of Jesus, John. It certainly is not an eyewitness account. These are not the genuine words of Jesus. You know, and that's been the criticism. So I think, you know, the authorship issue is really important. Yeah. If we can build a, you know, make a plausible case, a strong argument that the disciple of Jesus, John, is the author, then that brings this gospel back into the first century. Yeah. And it makes it early. And so these then become early statements about the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the incarnation, who Jesus thought he was. And these then are indeed the genuine words of Jesus, rather than just the, you know, the, the words of the church from a much later time. So, I mean, that's an ongoing debate, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I think, you know, we, you know there, there is not such a strong argument against, you know, the authorship of this gospel by the disciple Jesus that has convinced me. Yeah. Uh, and then anybody can make. Yeah. 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 And when I read that, you know, what I think about is because I come at this more from not from necessarily a biblical studies expert angle, but from thinking about this from the, the theological and philosophical side. So at least, you know, what I know about what's going on in philosophical circles around the, the time that this kind of biblical critical scholarship starts, uh, you know, I think of somebody, a philosopher like Hegel. Yeah. who has this view of how religion must develop in yeah. all cultures and all places. You know, so it's, it's this very, the irony here is it's this very sort of 19th century German idea yeah. about how all religions everywhere must develop. Yeah. And then we're going to, and so, so it's not necessarily that like, oh, we, you know, we actually, we have concrete historical information that tells us this, this must be late. But it's rather this grid, this this way of saying, here's how all cultures must develop. Here's how all religions must develop. And by definition, the Gospel of John yeah. do, doesn't fit our... John has to be later because that's where it fits in our grid. Yeah. Not because of any... Not because we investigated and said, is it plausible that a first century Jewish person or audience could think this way? They don't ask that, which seems to me, that's the actual yeah. historical question. Yeah. Is, is that, is it plausible? Is it historically plausible? Um, I, th like, I, I think I encountered this in like N.T. Wright and the victory, Jesus and the victory of God, things like that. Yeah. Basically saying, look, if it's going to be good history, you have to ask those questions. You can't yeah. come to that with your uh, pre-assumed philosophical grid exactly. of what, what is or isn't possible. For people to believe at certain times and places in history, yeah. and so that's yeah. to me when I think about that, I, I, you know, I just wonder how much that that view still kind of underpins some yeah. people's perspective on this. That just yeah. by definition, which seems really bad as a historian, yeah. Yeah. you wouldn't you know you wouldn't say as a historian like well you know what what you find in the Declaration of Independence is not historically possible because people could not have thought, you yeah. know, you couldn't come up yeah. with a grid and then say, well, it can't be that because it doesn't fit my grid. Yeah. You would say, well, that, you know, that shows bias on your part, yeah. not on the part of the disciples or the early yeah. church or anybody else. And so it, yeah. it, to me, it seems kind of flipped, kind of skew, kind of skewed approach to how we're going to wrestle yeah. with those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, you would obviously know more about Hegel than, than I would. Yeah. But, I don't know if yeah, I, I don't know if anybody the, knows the, much about the, Hegel. Sort of the, yeah. The development. And that's exactly right. And that's what critical scholarship has done. They sort of come out of that perspective and that grid and those assumptions that it does take, a, you know, religion a while to develop. So you get this 
thesis antithesis yeah. that needs to get resolved. And and so you if you take that back to you know the Gospel of John, how that developed, you sort of got Peter who represents Jews, and then yeah. Paul represents sort of a more of a Gentile community, and that takes a while to develop into Christianity that we find in John. Yeah. And so, yeah, that again, that's the perspective. But again, if we can build a case and make a case that John the disciple wrote it, yeah. and I think we can, that takes us back to the first century. Also, uh, one of the most important archaeological discoveries, I think, of all, besides the Dead Sea Scrolls, but is this... Uh, uh, is this is this thing called the John Rylands fragment? Okay, uh, and it really is the oldest piece of paper with the New Testament in Greek on it. It's just mm. a fragment, yeah, about as big as a a human hand, yeah. But it's got uh, John eighteen, uh, sort of a couple verses on the on the front side, and then it has a back side with a couple more verses from John. And scholars have pretty well dated it to about one twenty five A. D. Yeah. It was discovered in Alexandria, Egypt. Huh. Uh, so if John wrote this in Ephesus, yeah. then that means a copy of the Gospel of John made its way to Alexandria, Egypt within 30 years. Mm. Now that's amazing. Yeah. And so, again, the, the John Rylands fragment being early fragment with the Gospel of John on it, that's another argument and, and piece of evidence that takes us back into the first century. Yeah. The disciple John. It's early. These are the genuine words of Jesus. A clear early statement on the incarnation, the deity, and the Trinity. Yeah. These 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 doctrines that obviously it took the church a while to develop and come to conclusions on, on into the fourth and fifth century. Yeah. But but it's the Gospel of John that really informed those discussions more than any other sort of book and, yeah. and, and helped us understand exactly who Jesus is. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. That's amazing. So let me, so I want to shift gears a little bit. And, and so when you think about John, what, what is, you've kind of talked about this a little bit already, but, but what's, what is John's purpose? What's, what's driving him? And, and specifically thinking about for us today, I guess is kind of the second part of this question. What, how does that, how does that inform how we read John and, and, and what we take away from John as we really yeah. try to understand what he's saying, both to this original audience and then thinking about what what that what questions that poses for us today, or what does that mean for how we how we take and receive John? Yeah, yeah. The purpose question is big when it comes to the Gospel of John. Obviously, the synoptic authors have their purpose and their audience, and and so on, and then a reason that they write. Uh, but the synoptics were all sort of written in the late fifties, early sixties A.D. Uh, John, the disciple, seems to have written in the nineties, and so. Uh, 30 years go by. We have the synoptics, and then 30 years go by, and John all of a sudden says, well, we need a fourth gospel. Well, why do we need a fourth gospel? The church has already been using three. Why do we need a fourth? And so the answer is, I think, that John must have a very specific purpose for writing and a reason for writing. And it turns out, I think he did. And he's addressing his audience in Ephesus. And in particular, I think he's addressing uh, the Jewish Christians in his audience who have come out of a Jewish background, who have made a commitment to Jesus as the Messiah and the fulfillment of all those promises in the Old Testament. But they've, these Jewish Christians have encountered some conflict and pushback 
Well, from who? Well, it seems as though they're getting, you know, sort of conflict and pushback from the Jewish community in Ephesus. In fact, to the extent that these Jewish Christians apparently are being threatened with, and even it's happening, expulsion from the synagogue. Hmm. And obviously that's a crisis. That's a big deal. For, for people who have grown up in Judaism and those traditions are important. They made a commitment to Jesus, but, but now they're being threatened with this expulsion from the synagogue. And maybe they're wondering to themselves, you know, maybe this whole Jesus thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. Hmm. You know, maybe I'll just go back to Judaism. Yeah. And so what John is doing, I think he's addressing these Jewish Christians and he's encouraging them to continue their belief in Jesus the Messiah. Because you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. Jesus really is the fulfillment of, of Judaism and, and you know, so on from the Old Testament. In fact, that we see that in John. It's fortunate for us. John, John gives us his own purpose statement huh. in chapter 20. He says, I wrote these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, or if you take the Greek grammar yeah. by continuing to believe in Jesus mm. you might have life in his name mm. so I think John is trying to encourage these Jewish Christians who are wondering about their commitment to Jesus to continue to believe yeah you're on the right track Jesus is the Messiah he's the only one in whom you can find life he's the only one who reveals the Father uh, so you need to continue to believe even if that means getting kicked out of the synagogue mm. Go ahead and get kicked out. You have Jesus. Yeah. And maybe the the hero of in the Gospel of John, you know, sort of the, the, the story that maybe his audience would have would have just embraced and loved the most is the story of the blind man. Oh in yeah. John nine. Yeah. Here's a blind man who wins a debate against the Jewish authorities. Huh. He's blind but can see. The Jewish authorities can see, but they're actually spiritually blind. Yeah. Uh, and he ends up getting kicked out of the synagogue or kicked out of the community. Yeah. And I think John's audience would have resonated with that and said, yeah, here's a blind man who wins a debate and gets kicked out, but he's got Jesus. Yeah. And I think that would encourage his audience along the same lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, is, that, is that the passage I'm, 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 you know, where it's almost like he's... He's like, I, you know, think what you want about Jesus, but here's what I know. Yeah, you know? yeah. He says, oh, I, mean, I once was blind, but now I see. Yeah, it's kind of, do, do, that's, yep. like something has happened. And of course, not only does he see physically, Yeah. but this is the Gospel of John. He comes to see who Jesus is in a real way, Yeah. spiritually. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the divine Son of God. He's the human Jesus. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, John's making a, I mean, this is an important discussion yeah. in the first century. He's defining Christianity as over against Judaism. Yeah. And maybe we don't have time to get into all this, but yeah. he's also defining Christianity as over against sort of, uh, sort of a mystical strand of Judaism, a proto-Gnosticism hmm. that will eventually become Gnosticism. Yeah. You know, there's a there's sort of a religious conflict and almost a, a, a religious debate in the late first century 
almost kind of a three-way debate between Judaism, which would become rabbinical Judaism, yeah. sort of a proto-Gnosticism, which would become Gnosticism, and then Christianity. And so John wants to define Christianity as over against these other religions. Yeah. You know, who is Jesus? Yeah. Well, Judaism has an answer to that. Proto-Gnosticism would have an answer to that. And obviously John has his, his answer and his response to who is Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's so he's yeah he's fending off multiple he's got multiple angles at once and so yeah. I mean I even think about the beginning of First John over against the Gnostics where he's very I mean the the sort of proto Gnosticism where it's you know this is we've we've touched Jesus I mean he's he's yeah. physical he's not you know, the, this view that, that anything material or physical is sort of evil or bad that you know, he wants yeah. to be clear there as well that yeah. you know gee, I, I I touched this guy he's real he's a yeah. fully human. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, we think of the Gospel of John, which emphasizes the deity of Jesus, and certainly it does. Certainly, obviously, it does. Yeah. But John, of course, also speaks into the humanity of Jesus. You know, the Word became flesh yeah. and dwelt among us. Now, that's a statement right into the sort of proto-Gnostic community. Jesus is a human. And, of course, you know, uh, these debates continue to the present day. Yeah. Is Jesus God? Is he human? Is he just human? And of course, he needs to be both. You know, we need a human Jesus to redeem us. We need the divine Jesus to reveal, you know, the nature of God. And then, of course, John also has sort of this, this uh, developed uh, sort of theology of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. We need a powerful, spirit-filled Jesus to sort of lead us to lead, to encourage us to lead holy lives. Yeah. And so, so John's got this amazing discussion of who is Jesus? Well, yeah, he's fully divine. He is the human Jesus. He is the spirit-filled Christ who dwells within us and lives his life in and through us. And so, I mean, that, that's a contemporary discussion. We need that. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, uh, how, do you, you know how, do you, how do you do Jesus today in what is becoming more and more a non-Jesus world? Hmm where you've got this pluralism of religions and people sort of, you know, embrace these other religions or, or they have their self-defined spirituality yeah, and they just kind of do their own thing. Well, you know, John's discussion about who Jesus is in the first century, I think is, is just as relevant today in the 21st century. People want to know who's Jesus. And, 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 you know, again, John's answer, he's divine, he's human, he's the spirit-filled Christ. Yeah, and that's, that's the truth. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. That's that's just as relevant to us today as it was to them. Yeah, uh, we continue yeah. to we continue to need that message. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this. I always, I, I'd love to just sit down on the whole yeah. class. There's, yeah. you know, there's so I much you can keep do. going. This there's is, so much. Yeah. There's so much we can do. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate you taking some time this morning to uh, to think about these things with us and really just to. Uh, hopefully to whet our appetite to go back yeah. to the Gospel of John to read that and maybe maybe with a renewed sense again because some for a lot of people it might be one of the first things they encountered as as a Christian yeah. again whether it's as a kid learning John three sixteen or you know these passages that can be so familiar uh, but that yeah on closer examination turn yeah. out to have such rich and depth yeah. and and fullness if yeah. we really grasp I mean, it. that that's one of the appeals of the gospel too that it is both you know simple and profound. You know, uh, I think it was uh, Leon Morris, a New Testament scholar, who, who said, you know, that the Gospel of John is like a swimming pool. 
You know, it's, it's shallow enough that a child can wade, but it's deep enough that an elephant can swim. Hmm. And so whoever you are, you can hop into the Gospel of John and you can benefit from it. You know, my, you know, my, you know, my, my kids can hop into John and they can understand it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But yet it has such a majesty and a profundity to it that theologians and philosophers, we can, we can never finish plumbing the depths of this wonderful gospel that we have. Yeah. So. Well, that's great, and that's a great that's a great note to end on. Yeah. So thanks again for being with us today, and uh, glad you could join us for this first episode of the Kuiper Collective podcast. We'll be uh, back on a regular basis, and so we look forward to, to visiting more with you in the future. All right. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care, Dan.